Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Uh, David Johnson is our guest uh, this, this, this episode, talking about, I mean, really struggling to find the right topic, I have to say, because your mm. expertise is so broad. But we are going to talk about the future of law and activism, and mm. really the intersection of those. Um, so yeah. David, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it, Lisa. Well, I think it's fascinating. I mean, you have uh, decades of experience as a corporate attorney working in the Silicon Valley. You have presented in front of Congress. You have written a number of opinions that uh, have gone as far as the Supreme Court. Uh, you are a long-term lecturer at your own law school alma mater, Stanford uh, Law School. <laughs> you also teach uh, at the Hosser Center, also known as the D School there, and specifically yeah. around negotiations, activism, and that kind of, again, intersection of design, law, change, norms, you know, and, and really, I think, increasingly activism, as well as writing about that and having your own blog about climate activism and so, so much more. Um, it's a hard thing to kind of figure out exactly what that thing is, but I want to talk about law it and is. activism, right? Okay. And I want to yeah. talk about kind of your background and how you came to this place where this is your, your passion and, and the way forward. You know, uh, like many things that come your way, it's it's sometimes even semi-conscious, the path that we pursue. I started my career as a traditional lawyer, uh, wanted to come home to California from the East Coast, took a degree, uh, got involved in Silicon Valley. I really approached design for the first time uh, as the COO and GC of a a little consulting company that was doing applied design for organizations, basically organizational behavior and organizational restructuring uh, for a fairly select set of clients in Silicon Valley. And it was really fascinating to see how the architect founder of that company applied design to basically social systems, in this instance, small to medium sized companies. Um, that kind of whetted my appetite for uh, design and I started thinking about its application. My thesis at Stanford had to do with looking at software design theory modeling as a, a way of, since I don't write software, as a way of thinking and looking differently at law and policy as social systems and whether or not they are amenable to redesign, which I think we know they are, and whether uh, certain design methods that have proven to work in software might actually add value to those efforts of redesign in law and policy. Um, it's kind of incredible as obviously as a practitioner, but also as now an academic increasingly, and I think that it 
suggests that perhaps your your mind always worked as an academics exploring those bigger <laughs> those bigger bigger questions um, of how we apply practical knowledge to solve kind of the world's challenges and and some of the major issues. Um, I, I mean, I think when we talk about activism, it's a word that has hmm. been around for millennia, probably, yeah. and certainly for centuries. But today, it means many different things. I think I, I feel a need before we even go further to just kind of have you define what you mean by activism um, before we even kind of dive into wh why it's needed or why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start by, by just sort of articulating what seems to be the sort of standard interpretation or meaning of what an activist is. It's uh, uh, somebody who, like Julia Butterfly Hill, who sits in a redwood tree for a year and a half and uh, negotiates a deal to save a portion of the redwood forest. That's pure activism. That's hands-on individual activism for which I have an enormous amount of respect. Uh, you have activist groups all over the planet, particularly in climate change right now, who are uh, doing all manner of public work. They're uh, going on general strikes, school strikes, uh, brand boycotts of companies that are misbehaving uh, or not completing their ESG targets or being, are being transparent about their ESG plans. Those sorts of activists uh, have a great deal of admiration. My feeling, my view is that for many of these social system, systemic social problems that we're confronting, activism is going to have to reach more deeply into the general population. We're going to have to all become part-time activists and that perhaps we can increase the amount of uh, person hours that are, are delivered in the direction of activism rather than depending on people who, God bless them, are willing to go full-time in that space. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, I... <laughs> I think we're all feeling that, uh, yeah. Cer yeah. Cer certainly in, um, well, it depends on what our passion points are, right? Or what's close right. to us, what's affected us or our families, or our communities. I mean, I guess the question is like, there are major topic areas that that are, as you just mentioned, a few of them, you know, there are, there are activists active in many places. What are some of the right. topic areas that you identify and see as crucial, as just just ultimately time bound, um, and are those different in the U.S. versus perhaps the rest of the world or globally? I think there is a difference in the U.S. for in the in the U.S. For example, one that I keep my eye on particularly is uh, systemic racism in policing and in the law uh, writ large. Uh, the the problem of a two tiered legal system, uh, and when you say uh, a two tiered legal system, sorry, when you say a two tiered legal system, uh, it's it's basically what we all understand is if you have money and expense and the ability to hire the best lawyers, you get a certain kind of justice. If you don't have the money to hire. Uh, the best lawyers and you get a either a public defender or no lawyer no at all you have a uh, entirely different experience with the justice system and it is inferior to what uh, the upper class gets that's i think generally what we think of as a two-tiered uh, justice system um, 
So one could yeah, argue in, in, not to distract you, but one could argue sure. that we have the same thing in healthcare, in politics, in, I yeah. mean, one could argue we increasingly have a divided haves and everyone else. Uh, yeah. it, it's a power question ultimately. Yeah, to, to, I was going to go straight to healthcare next uh, as a particularly uh, uh, American problem. And then just obviously climate on the global uh, scale. Uh, you know, the pandemic brings, you know, world health up to the global scale. And what I've concluded, and I'm not the first to conclude this, I think, uh, is when we look at all these systemic problems, they have one common uh design flaw, can I call it that, uh, one common root cause. And that is ultimately some amount of corruption in the power, the uh, capital P power that controls uh, whether progress is made or whether the status quo is retained in all of these problem areas I discussed. Uh, and I consider the bulk of that power to reside in the intertwined, uh, call it a double helix of uh, big corporate money and governments. And there's corruption in both of those. But when the two of them get together and constitute capital P power, then the corruption uh, is uh, amplified because the self-interest overrides any, any notion of stewardship or public duty. And the power tends to not power absolutely <laughs> seeks to perpetuate power. Well, and, that's that's uh, the power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely right. This is like the foundations yep. of political theory. Yeah, um, yeah, and and, and it, you're right. It's 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 not a new idea, but uh, it is relevant to point to that as the common source where uh, the change needs to occur for new properties to emerge in these systems that are actually better properties than the ones that are in those systems. Sorry to interject that. Go ahead. No, no, it's absolutely <laughs> true. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the fact, and this is an interjection on my own ability to moderate a discussion like this, because um, as we did in the prep, this, what we are talking about is something I've been exploring since the mid nineties. I wrote my senior thesis in college on identity politics and basically self versus other. And all of this comes into play. I said to my grandfather, you know, in those nineties that, you know, like if you have a pay to play democracy, it ceases to be a democracy. And that's obviously right. the extent of what we, we are seeing now. <clears throat> he told me I was far too cynical, uh, <laughs> far too young to be so cynical, but here we are. And I'm, I'm aware of the fact that we want to talk about activism and there's so many places where we need activism. And as you said, we all need to become part-time activists in order to yeah. In, incite the change that we want to see in the world and, and battle these increasing um, um, imbalances between power, capital P, and, mm -hmm. you know, the perception of it and the perpetration of it. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, let's talk about who's responsible for, for this change. I mean, you mentioned government, you mentioned corporations, mm -hmm. obviously the individual, communities but like how do, these are systems changes and coming back to the law piece they mm. are system changes that ultimately in many ways reside on uncorrupt practice of law or adherence to a law so mm -hmm. who, who's responsible for 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 making both the law and the activism parts um possible 
Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. I've got two or three thoughts on that. First of all, uh, let me just lay out this uh, sort of foundational hypothesis that I operate from for the U.S. purposes. And that is uh, our federal law and constitution in particular from the founding fathers onward um, amplified uh, a couple particular rights. Uh, curiously, one of them was individual rights, specifically vis-a-vis -vis the government. The purpose of the Constitution at a very high level was to protect the individual and even the states from a centralized government. Uh, and I think by and large, it did a pretty good job of, of that. Uh, and we'll, if you want to talk about originalism uh, in the current day, we can go down that road. Uh, uh, but in the Constitution also, in addition to individual rights, is the idea of personal property being uh, well protected, almost sacrosanct. So when you take individual rights plus personal property, the right to property separate and apart from any government interference, and that's property you know, in the broadest sense of the term, not just real estate, and then you dunk that pair into the uh, brew of a free market, uh, notionally free market capitalism, you end up with a, the recipe, the design for uh, a system that will start to uh, leverage those three uh, legs of the stool, for lack of a better phrase, and we end up in a place where wealth, power, status, um, celebrity, celebrity to a degree, uh, and particularly when we brought in the personhood of corporations and um, the double-edged sword of giving individuals protection behind the corporate uh, veil, and then at the same time giving corporations many of the rights that individuals have, uh, and thus uh, being themselves part of that uh, that sort of three-legged Protect, protected uh, entity structure, yeah. yeah. Then then we get to a place where where wealth and power are unfettered, mm -hmm. and the uh, the gap between the general population and you know this people have talked about this the one percent the ninety nine percent the gap between the general population who are supposed to be the primary source of power in a democracy and the actual capital p power that's been co-opted by the one percent in their ability to guess what make the laws uh you know power can perpetuate itself pretty easily if it can make the laws that perpetuate power I can't recall who I was having this conversation with the other day, but I, I said, you know, I, I, I didn't, I don't realize if we are kind of back in the middle ages in our kind of ways of exploring or whether we're in this dystopian Mad Max future, like, and I, and then, you know, kind of realize like it's Machiavellian, you know, but kind of worse. It's like, we're, we're in both of those places. So we need systems change. And this is both in the U.S., and this is a global phenomenon mm -hmm. that we are mm -hmm. seeing rising because America has exported this type of very particular capitalism and yeah. money equals power to the rest of the world over the course of, especially since the 80s, but it's been going on for a lot longer than that. 
So as we look at individual action and community organization, that activism and the major topics that we need to fight for from climate and healthcare to, you know, again, judicial justice, et cetera, systemic racism, and, and, and the list can go on and on and on. Um, what kind of actions can, can individuals hope to take that is really going to move the needle? I mean, you, te you teach these things um, and you have a huge passion for it. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the, th the theory. Let me start here. Um, uh, particularly since we just had an election day yesterday, I guess, and in the States, and we have another one uh, coming up soon. Uh, it, it, it's worth noting that government in the US provides a really solid, theoretically solid structure for people to be quote unquote activist by way of the ballot. So the government itself has set up the mechanisms for people to vote. And uh, that's really the only place where government reaches out to people to ask for uh, their input and in how they want to self-govern. And what's interesting then is that, number one, we see that process under attack, the equality and the validity of the voting process under attack uh, now, which is not to say people shouldn't go out in hordes to vote every time they get a chance, because that's one pathway. But what's, what, what I'm looking at right now is one of the things I would encourage, particularly established activist groups in particular uh, subject matter areas, whether it be climate, whether it be systemic racism or otherwise. Women's reproductive rights. Women's reproductive rights, absolutely. Uh, dark money in elections, voting rights. Uh, thank you, uh, Sammy Alito for, uh, uh, and, and Kennedy, actually. It was Kennedy, I think. Um, and uh, what, what I think the people, these people need to do, whether individually or collectively, and probably a blend of both, is develop another structural mechanism similar to the voting mechanism that the government has set up for us, which gives us some but very limited and sort of very much arm's length say in how we want to be governed and, and develop a separate structure effectively in civil society. Uh, and I think it can be done virtually via the internet a structure whereby people can express their voice in, this, in, in somewhat the same way, they can participate in somewhat the same way they might as voters, um, and, and, and yet be activists in that process and bring a, a huge number of people's voices together to generate a capital V voice of the people that can then stand toe to toe with the capital P power that has corrupted our government and at least make it a fair fight, at least, you know, uh, bring the right weapon. And are there mechanisms within the law that allow these activist organizations to do this more effectively than, than say how most of us are doing it today? I think there probably are some tools that the law provides then, and I don't think there's any 
secret uh, to them, and one of them is going to be the nonprofit organization, the 501c3 and 501c4, uh, including uh, the vehicles, the vessels, the super PACs that are vessels for pouring money into politics. That's one pathway uh, for activism. But the general population's activism is probably not going to be uh, financially driven, uh, but rather uh, uh, voice or uh, boot driven, meaning boots in the streets or uh, voices in the air, uh, but just so many boots and so many voices that uh, it becomes overwhelming when, when power, whether it's in government or in corporations, um, they have to confront it. It's, it's important to remember whether it's a democracy or a dictatorship, mm. power still ultimately derives from the population that that government is trying to control. We look at Asia, uh, the Asia, I'm sorry, the, <laughs> the uh, Arab Spring, and you remember that one event in Tunisia triggered an outpouring of people in the streets, which caused a president who had been democratically elected 23 years prior, who then turned into a dictator and held office, for him to be forced out of office in two weeks after being there 23 years, simply because of the raw number of people in the streets protesting, guess what, corruption up and down the ladder. And then that spread, of course, to 10 or 11 other countries also. Some of who, which had success and some of which had brutal crackdowns and it prolonged civil wars. Uh, ultimately, yes. But the, the, the interesting point is it was the people in the streets using their, their, their boots and their voices who forced the issue. Absolutely. Uh, there may, may not have been an adequate end game in place where uh, new the, the power vacuum could be filled with uh, the right kind of uh, leadership. But uh, I wouldn't call it a failure by any stretch of the imagination, simply because of what it demonstrated. That Activism is do. never a failure, I don't believe. <laughs> right. I, I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that because I forgot the call of the question at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's so good. I mean, it's again, we're I mean, we're looking at time and I want to just ask one more. I mean, you you and I had talked about you have some incredible predictions, not all super happy ones, kind of mm -hmm. looking 10 years down the road. Um, but I want to come back to that through the lens of the future of law and activism. Give yeah. me your your high low on kind of where things are going um, as we wrap up here. So I think uh, let's talk specifically about the climate space. My guess is that we're going to see a great deal of progress in climate activism, meaning more people joining the movement around the world because it affects everybody in the same way. That's, that was the first thing that was so striking to see with COVID-19 and the pandemic is there was barely a person on the planet who wasn't somehow or another touched by that event. Yep. And the same way climate change is in one way or another going to touch virtually every person on the planet. These, these forces, uh, environmental forces both, are 
the very definition of apolitical. <laughs> and so uh, I think we're going to see, uh, particularly with uh, Gen Z and then Gen Alpha after that, we're going to see a shift in ethos of the younger generations coming up. And we're going to see a lot more activism. And I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure how it will play out. Um, but what I'm trying to do is uh, teach a little bit of design for these students to uh, apply when they do go out into the world and they make activism a central part of their, uh, you know, identity. Um, I don't think we're going to see government in power really make a move uh, towards improving our uh, laws on climate unless and until we see what's inevitably going to occur, which is one or two years of extraordinarily severe uh, environmental climatic events uh, that will uh, shake uh, the foundations of power uh, at the same time that activism is growing. So there's a little bit of good in there. There's a little bit of bad in there. Uh, there are major forces that are going to come face to face. And I would say that's probably going to happen within the next 10 years. I, I, I couldn't agree more, not to mention all the other topics that are, are right for uh, disruption, not in the technological nor in the business way, but disruption from the social activism uh, that we want to make a better world that serves more people rather than those with money yeah. and power. Um, David, your um, upcoming book, I believe, <laughs> um, I don't know when it's scheduled to be released. I'd like to give you an opportunity to give a plug. Yeah, the, the book's in the early stage, so I don't have a release date for it yet. Uh, but yes, it's going to touch on law, design, activism, and some negotiation as well for activists in particular, because that communication and negotiation is an important way, uh, important factor in how activists use their collective voice. Uh, I expect the book will be out before the end of next year, uh, uh, perhaps maybe about a year from now. and. I will very much reach reach out back to you when it's time to really talk about the book and, and uh, what the the message of the book really is. Well, I look forward to that. And thank you for sharing your perspective and mm -hmm. all of your experience and passion with us on Future of XYZ today. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And everyone, uh, this is the level of conversation that is happening on Future of XYZ with profound minds like David Johnson <laughs> of Stanford, uh, longtime lawyer uh, and author. Um, and thank you everyone for joining us for Future of XYZ. If you don't already subscribe, you can do so on YouTube or anywhere you get your favorite podcast and make sure you follow Future of XYZ on Instagram or visit future-of.xyz to nominate yourself or someone else brilliant you know to be a future guest. Thank you. And we'll see you next week, David. Thank you again. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.